Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We broadcast from Johannesburg, South Africa, and our main aim is to provide news, views, interviews, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and the world. We broadcast in six languages, allowing Africa to tell its own stories, promoting the continuation of our continent's unique place as the birthplace of humankind. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us right here for another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa. Yes, we are the gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. That's our shortwave service into the continent on DSTV. You're listening to us on the radio channel, channel 902. Thank you for joining us online as well on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at the results of the elections in Burundi. But before we get into that, let's get our news from Onel Nsinzi. Thank you, Benjamin. Looking at your headlines this morning, President Barack Obama in talks with the Ethiopian Prime Minister. Tunisia's parliament approves legislation allowing the death penalty for those convicted on terrorism charges. And the Chinese embassy in Somalia to confirm the number of its staff members injured at an explosion at a hotel in the Somali capital Mogadishu. With your latest news, a very good morning. I'm Onelin Sinsi. President Barack Obama is holding talks with Ethiopian Prime Minister Hale Mariam Desalay. Obama is in the country on the second leg of his visit to East Africa. Discussions are expected to focus on regional security and human rights. Thousands of Ethiopian troops are deployed to Somalia, where the threat posed by the militant group Al-Shabaab was highlighted by a bomb attack on Mogadishu on Sunday. Obama will also hold talks with regional leaders about the conflict in South Sudan. 
Tunisia's parliament has approved legislation allowing the death penalty for those convicted on terrorism charges. This after Islamist militant attack that killed dozens of foreign visitors in the past few months. Last month, a gunman killed 38 mostly British tourists in the Tunisian seaside city of Susa. MPs approved the bill on Saturday by a margin of 174 for zero with 10 absentees after three days of a debate. The Chinese embassy in Somalia, whose offices were damaged in the Jazera Hotel Blast, is yet to confirm the number of its staff members who were injured in the incident. Fifteen people were killed and dozens others injured. Chinese nationals are among the wounded. Somali-based militant group Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility for the attack, saying it was a revenge for the recent operations by the African Union and the Somali forces. The six-story hotel houses some foreign embassies and sometimes hosts high-level government meetings. South Sudan's leaders have been urged by the United Nations Humanitarian Affairs Chief Stephen O'Brien to pursue peace and allow aid workers to f- perform their tasks in safety. O'Brien recently visited a UN-run camp in the town of Banti in Unity State, where up to 1,000 people are arriving each day to escape ongoing violence. Nearly two years of fighting between government forces and those loyal to the former vice president has forced more than 2 million people people in South Sudan to flee their homes, O'Brien elaborates. So we urge through the various UN agencies and through the various NGOs and the humanitarian community, we urge the leaders, the warring parties, uh, to find a way forward that is peaceful and then we can start supporting people here to rebuild their lives. These are innocent civilians who don't deserve to be in this state of fear and that's why this place of safety is so important for them. And finally, Gauteng Province police in South Africa have arrested a man they suspect could be part of a so-called airport gang. The gang follows people from Ora Tambo International Airport in Johannesburg and then drops them off their valuables once they reach their destination. Police spokesperson Vishnu Naidu. We arrested a 36-year-old man who initially we suspected that he was driving a hijacked vehicle, which was later confirmed that the vehicle was indeed hijacked in April this year. But after conducting follow-up investigations and further profiling of the suspect, we discovered that he had a string of convictions, including murder, attempted murder, and armed robbery. He's since been taken into custody. Now recapping on your top stories, President Barack Obama in talks with the Ethiopian Prime Minister. Tunisia's parliament approves legislation allowing the death penalty for those convicted on terrorism charges. And the Chinese embassy in Somalia to confirm the number of its staff members injured in an explosion at a hotel in the Somali capital, Mogadishu. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilin Zinzim. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Bari, 
Eti se, mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a brand new music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song, every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You with me right now, Benjamin Mushata. I'm right here on African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you can interact with us by SMS plus 27796957930. That's our SMS number plus 27796957930. Today, we're looking at the Burundi situation. We're looking at the results that came out this weekend. Burundi's electoral commission announced this past weekend that Pierre Kurunziza had won the controversial third term as president of Burundi, garnering almost 70% of the vote. The main opposition leader, Egerton Rwaza, denounced the win and demanded for fresh elections. Burundi's Really, uh, uh, Ruasa uh, really remained on the ballot uh, paper despite boycotting the poll with other three main rivals. Now, international observers, including the U.S. State Department and the European Union, have said the elections were not free and fair. And critics said that the government harassed opposition supporters over the past few months and at least 70 people have been killed in protests since the president announced in April that he was running for a third term. And also there's been discussion what does that third term actually means so we're going to be speaking to some analysts during this particular hour to look at the outcomes of the burundi elections we've got benjamin chimuni who is uh, from the department of international development at the london school of economics and political science benjamin it's good to be speaking to another benjamin are you there with yeah, us thank ben- you thank you for having <laughs> me well how would we describe this particular situation right now with the results coming out this weekend? We know that 69 point something percent of the votes went to Pierre Nkurunziza. We've already heard uh, the main opposition leader, Agathon Ruaza, denouncing the win. And also he was left on the ballot paper despite the fact that he had actually uh, uh, spoken loudly that he, wa- he didn't want to be part of these elections. Yeah, well, about this last point, I think uh, there were also just a technical problem. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the ballot paper had been printed long in advance, uh, and I think, you know, just uh, the government didn't have the logistical capacity to change that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, it first maybe, you know, a logistical issue. Yeah. And uh, as well, I think, you know, the, 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 the strategy for Mkwanziza was to try to legitimize those elections one way or another. And to be honest, not having WhatsApp on the vote, it would really have delegitimized the election because Wata is actually quite popular uh, in Burundi. So I think now the situation we, we have is uh, uh, election were not very uh, legitimate uh, uh, because of the, the call for boycott, and as well just because there were no international observers as well on the ground. Um, so that means that you know we have absolutely no clue 
for example, if the government could rig the, the election, and there is already rumors in some uh, 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 ballot bureau uh, that uh, you know the result doesn't match exactly the kind of popularity of Nkurunziza in the area. Mm. Uh, so election, yes, uh, leg- legitimate election, uh, no. <laughs> mm. Well, we also understand that now the government is seeking to hold meetings with opposition parties. Do you think that anything will materialize from this? And do you think there'll be a willingness from opposition party to sit down with the team? from Pierre Kurunziza's side? It's very hard to say. I think the, the uh, I think the opposition itself is not sure. I think on on one hand, you know, they they might want to continue in opposition, especially that now there is a lot of uh, big figure of the opposition abroad, as well some uh, respected uh, CNDDFDD, so the ruling party members abroad. So they could constitute a kind of, uh, you know, uh, 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 an opposition uh, abroad to the CNDDFDD. On the other hand, I'm sure as well that some member uh, of the opposition who are still in the country uh, might be willing to join, uh, you know, a government of national unity uh, just to have basically good jobs and good position as well. I think, you know, and Kornziza, uh, uh, you know, is very aware that he can distribute jobs and posts. And I wouldn't be surprised that some member of the opposition just, uh, you know, uh, uh, can't resist a nice job in the, in the, in the, in the Burundian state. So I think for now everyone is waiting to see exactly you know what's going to happen. Uh, for example, a good example again is Wasa. You know, despite him you know denouncing the election, he showed up this morning at the parliament. You know, as an MP, uh, so that's quite surprising. And as well, he called mm. for a government of national unity. So even his position is not clear. You know, is he denouncing mm. or you know or is he ready to engage with Nkurunziza? Well, let's see what's happening on the ground in uh, Burundi in itself. And from Bujumbura, we've got the Channel Africa correspondent, Bernard Bankunkira, joining us on the line. Bernard, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Bernard, tell us a little bit about the current situation there. We know that proceedings are taking place in Parliament today. How's the atmosphere in Burundi today? Okay, thank you. Now, the most expected story in Bujumbura is to watch to see whether the opposition, Agaton Grasa, could attend the parliamentary session, which has unfortunately not yet begun because it was expected to start to kick off at 9 o'clock, but until now it hasn't yet started. So we have seen that Agaton Grasa and his men are present, a part of his men, I mean, is uh, are present in the House of the Parliament. But we have to mention that uh, Agaton Wasa has 16, uh, no, 30 people in the parliament, but only 16 are present. Uh, maybe to explain on this, it's that the coalition led by Agaton Wasa was made of two radical sides, uh, radical sides, mm-hmm. one radical of the FNL led by Agaton Wasa and another radical of the Ukraine party led by Honorable uh, Charles B.T.J. So uh, the side of Charles B.T.J. hasn't reported to the parliament, but Agaton Russell's side is there. So we are waiting to see whether the day session, the today's session, kick off. Because until now, the deputies are entering. They haven't yet started. Mm. And also, do we know what is actually on the program today in Parliament? Bernard, can you give us a little bit of uh, the agenda for the day? Now, the agenda of the day hasn't yet been distributed, but we know that uh, during the, uh, the, the... The main point on the agenda is to elect the Bureau of uh, the Assembly. I mean the President, Vice President, the whole Bureau. Uh, 
it hasn't yet been distributed. Uh, we expect that the, the most aged uh, deputy will hold the today's session, but after the election of the bureau, the chairman will lead the, oh, the remaining activities until uh, July 31st. But I'm also interested in terms of just what's happening on the ground in terms of uh, the people's response to this election of Pierre Nkurunziza. What is the feeling on the ground from ordinary citizens? Now, if you speak to ordinary citizens, I managed to speak, most of them tell now, we want them to do what they, they have to do so that we can live in peace. So people on the ground normally need peace. Mm. But um, if I come to the election of President Koronaviza, some say uh, in Bujumbura, most of the opposition people mm. do not appreciate his election. But in the countryside, Tim uh, Koronaviza was elected to a higher rate, although some say that uh, they were forced to go to election, but he was... Uh, uh, elected to a higher rate. Mm. Uh, in the country, nothing is said about the, the, the elections. We know that Butumbura uh, underwent uh, massive protests against the term of President Kiyanakonaziza, and this is normal to see uh, that the turnout was uh, too low, mm. a rate of 29%. Uh, so, anyway, not, not, much, not much is said on this, but we know that the majority in Bujumbura are not yet with uh, the re-election of this president. Mm. So, uh, let me come back to you, Benjamin Chamuni, in terms of uh, that mm-hmm. particular response that we're getting from Bernard Bankunkir, especially in terms of uh, the uh, sittings today in Parliament. We are seeing kind of uh, uh, a difference in composition in terms of who's going to be attending, as he highlighted there. Does this complicate the whole governance issue and also the Arusha agreement? Does that make things more contentious in the way these elections come about? came about? Yeah, of course, because you know the the the, the, the Burundian system uh, based on the on the Arusha peace agreement is uh, is based on a series of quota and proportion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm sure there is a quorum as well to to reach in order for the session in Parliament to be to be attended. My guess, and, and again, it's just a guess, but like uh, that there is lots of negotiation and tractation going on just to be sure to bring people in and as well around the composition of the of the bureau. Mm. And also, there's also been this kind of debate that was uh, actually came about about this issue of whether it's a second term or the third term, because some arguments were being made. Uh, and coming back to you, Bernard, was the fact that uh, Pierre Ngurunziza was was actually saying, questioning the issue of the third term, saying, hey, the first term that I was in office was elected by parliament, but now I was elected by the people, meaning that that was my first term, uh, the last term that I was in, and now I'm entering into my second term. Are people buying into that uh, narrative that uh, is coming from Pierre Nkurunziza in terms of uh, the whole argument of which term uh, is it this time around? Bernard? Um, I think there is a kind of uh, force uh, that has been used to to, to, to force people to accept his uh, term because mm. um, since the beginning uh, the, the opposition said that uh, 
the current president has already completed his two terms allowed by the constitution and the Russia peace accord. Mm. Um, but the ruling party said no. Uh, the president was elected by, um, by, by the parliament, but uh, the, 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 this will, will, will be the second term elected by all the people, as said, mm. as, as the constitution says. But uh, the Arusha agreement. Uh, Put things on clear that no president should uh, should should run more than two uh, two terms. So we, we can say that the incumbent president, the pre- president Kuruviza, has used the force to oblige people to accept, and uh, it seems that uh, people are accepting accepting it because they have to accept. Mm-hmm. Well, coming back to you, Benjamin Chimuni, your views there in terms of that particular issue of uh, that particular argument that's coming through, whether it's the second term or the third term, there seems to be contradictions there. Yeah, well, actually, the, the, the legal argument is that in the Constitution, it's written that uh, the president is elected by the people and the president can have only two terms. However, in 2005, the president was elected by parliament as a, as a transitional measure uh, uh, after the war. So the, the legal claim was like, well, look, you know, the first time I was, you know, elected by parliament, not by the people, so this first time doesn't count. Uh, the problem to that is first, I mean, uh, theoretically speaking, you know, parliament being the representation of the you can say that people elected as well uh, uh, the first time, however, indirectly. Mm. And second, the Arusha Peace Agreement, which is referred to in the Constitution, I have constitutional value. Here it's very uh, uh, well written that, you know, uh, someone can only run twice, even mm. if it's direct or indirect vote. So, yeah, I mean, there is a small legal argument because, you know, the constitution was not very well written. However, if you look at the peace agreement, uh, you can see that this is very clear, clearly spelled. So, of course, you know, the same that they have, they have resorted to that, uh, but they know as well that it's shaky. And the best proof is that thing in 2014, they tried to change the constitution and they failed. Uh, so there is a little uh, legal point to that, but uh, I think it's quite a weak one. Mm. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, right here on uh, the frequency uh, 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us uh, on uh, DSTV, you're listening to us on the radio bouquet on Channel 902. Hey, do you think that the election of uh, President Pierre Kurunziza was legitimate? Do you think it was fair? What are your views as an African? Let us know your thoughts. Plus 2779-695-7930. We know there's also a humanitarian crisis in Burundi. So many people are leaving the country. I was told in our newsroom today that 75,000 people have left the country as refugees. And we're going to come back to that particular issue of uh, was this an, a legitimate uh, election because of that particular Effect. Also joining us now, we'll speak to him after the break. We have Kwezi Nabisa, who is the coordinator at the South African-based organization uh, involved in conflict resolution, peacekeeping, and preventative diplomacy uh, throughout the African continent. We'll speak to uh, Kwezi when we come back. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, 
Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and uh, thank you for joining us. If you're joining us, uh, thank you for joining us uh, online on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Kwezi, thank you for joining us on the program. And I know that uh, you are very much involved in conflict resolution and I just wanted to know from you, in terms of this particular issue of Burundi, we're speaking about this whole conversation that really was around the whether it's the second term or third term of uh, Pierre Kununziza's presidency. What is your take on that particular aspect? Because that seemed to be where the conflict was and where the contention was in terms of the conversations that are still taking place right now. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for, for having me. Um, indeed, um, Accord has been uh, working on Burundi for over a decade right now, and indeed we are part of the effort to make sense of uh, some of the challenges that the country has met. Mm. To get it directly, uh, give you a perspective on your question on whether it's a second or a third term, I think that anyone who can count can certainly say that it is a third term. The real question that everyone is confronted with is that, is it permissible by law? Mm. And uh, you will get uh, almost any and every lawyer uh, uh, giving an opinion about that. One opinion is that uh, the Constitution does not allow it. It goes against the spirit of Arusha. The other opinion, which is diametrically opposed to to the first one that I've just shared, would say that uh, the Arusha agreement was uh, an agreement that sought to end the conflict, give birth to a transitional government of national unity, which in turn would then pass a constitution which is operational right now. I think more than anything else, from a conflict management point of view, considering uh, the work that we have had an opportunity to do in Burundi, the law uh, of which the constitution is the apex of, is not intended to be a cause of conflict. It's supposed to articulate and outline some sort of consensus where this is going. And if we look at Burundi right now, the Barundi of different ethnic groups, of different political parties, have done well since 2005 to find mechanisms of addressing some of their conflicts. Secondly, this has broken down somewhat uh, because uh, the interpretation of the constitution vis-à-vis the running of the president has exposed perhaps some of the limitations that existed uh, from within that constitution. Very briefly, I would like to just quickly make a very uh, short rundown of some of the instances where this breakdown uh, uh, was exposed. Firstly, Parliament never approved the president to run for a third term. If you remember last year, around September, uh, Parliament was the first one to actually uh, pour water over the president's effort to actually have the third term, or at least a removal of, of term limits in the Constitution. 
that's the first thing. That should have been an indication for all of us to actually see that there are different interpretations of the constitution vis-a-vis family limit or this particular president's family limit, considering that he came in uh, during the transitional government. That was the first one. Secondly, we had a constitutional court outcome. Uh, we will recall that uh, early this year, or at least about two months ago, when the ruling party in Putumbura, CNPD, FDD, nominated the president during that Congress. There was a challenge to the Constitutional Court, and the Constitutional Court came out to say that um, it did uh, 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 see nothing wrong with the president running for another term. Now, that particular decision was actually accompanied by a lot of uh, complaints from uh, uh, certain quarters in the country, whereby the deputy uh, president of the Constitutional Court ran away from the country, citing pressure from the, from, from the executive to deliver favorable outcome. Again, that was another second point that should have indicated to us. And of course, there's been a little of other things. The mutiny that uh, sought to play the coup, mm-hmm. um, the, the violent protest, mm-hmm. and of course the, the, the accompanying uh, story that just never gets properly addressed out of the wing of the ruling party, which many people are actually saying that they are a militia that mm-hmm. is hell-bent on making the lives of, of Burundi far more difficult for them to exercise Right. So I think for, for us, from a conflict point, management point of view, uh, we, we do not have the competencies really of mm. interpreting the constitution or, or the law, but we would seek to, to build upon the consensus that appeared to exist from 2005 onwards mm. on but, finding solutions well, to well, we'll come back to that. Has that process been compromised? And uh, uh, as highlighted by Benjamin Chimun earlier, it has been compromised. But before we come to that, I really want to look at uh, the, really the impact that this particular political stalemate and situation has done in the country in terms of the humanitarian situation. Bernard, are you still there with us? If you are, uh, we know that there's a lot of people moving out of uh, Burundi and it seems to be a constant outflow uh, into the con- outside the country, um, people moving moving out of the country. Bernard, tell us about that situation. And also, this does illegitimize, in some way, the elections. Bernard, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, it's true, it's, yes, it, it's true that uh, since the eruption of the, the crisis uh, in Burundi, uh, I mean, not since April 26, and even before, hundreds of people have fled from Zania to Rwanda uh, to Democratic Republic of Congo, and they even went up to Uganda, uh, thinking, fearing that Burundi might uh, jump into war, which fortunately hasn't yet happened. Uh, it's true that more than around 140 people are outside of the country. But information, the reporter from the government, and even we had information from uh, the northern part of the country saying that uh, many of the Burundians are coming back. And the information you had, for example, in the morning in one of the, the protesting quarters is that many of them have been obliged to come back so as their children uh, can go back to school. So so that so many people fled the country that many are returning, especially those from Rwanda. Uh, to say whether they can legitimate the election, I think many of them are coming back because of uh, drastic conditions there in the in the refugee camps. Uh, we have following we have been following that uh, so many people said they cannot uh, continue living the conditions of the refugee camps and prefer to come back. So coming back doesn't mean that 
the election can be legitimated, but they are forced by the situation. Uh, they said a possible war that could erupt. It mm. hasn't erupted. And they are living in drastic conditions that they prefer to come back because mm. of these drastic conditions and also to, to let their children go back to schools. Mm. Benjamin, let me come... Benjamin, clearly this particular humanitarian also deepens the fact that uh, uh, these elections were not free and fair because of this humanitarian situation. It wasn't solved. No one seems to be addressing this particular aspect of things. What are your views there, Benjamin? Well, I think, um, you know, it, uh, there could have been, you know, a, an argument that, you know, people left the country because of fear. However, you know, if we would have international observer on the ground, you know, mm. if the media would have been able to broadcast, uh, you know, we could have said that the election was still free and fair, even though, you know, some people for plenty of reasons decided to, to leave the country. Um, so, but I think regarding the humanitarian situation, what, what is interesting is that those people start way before the election, uh, you know, as soon as Nkornisa announced that he was running for third term, what it, what it shows is really the, 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 the amount of distrust in the Burundi, especially with, you know, a, a segment of the population uh, and the, the government. At the moment, it's more than 100,000 refugees. Uh, and I think it showed that, uh, very, you know, the population is extremely, uh, still extremely traumatized the experience of the civil war uh, was only, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's going to make the, you know, the, the future of Burundi after the election extremely difficult to build uh, because, you know, the population always expects, you know, some violence from its government. Uh, and I don't know what kind of reassuring sign and Kondiza, you know, could display if you wanted those, uh, those people back. Mm. Well, we're going to take one more break and we're going to come back to that big question. Has the Arusha agreement been compromised by what has happened now with these recent elections? Hey, we're seeing a negative response from the opposition uh, members and also there's been this big, big conversation around the fact that uh, uh, this was not a legitimate election from the opposition. What is your view? Hey, do you think that this uh, particular election was free and fair? Do you think that Pierre Ziza has a point though when it comes to the issue of him being in his second term because in his first term he was elected by parliament and not by the people themselves of the country. What are your views on this Burundi situation? When I hear from you, Africa, let us know your thoughts by SMS. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We'll continue this after this break and, and wrap things up. Would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine oh five or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue, where we zoom into one matter, one issue that uh, everyone is talking about on the continent. And we know Burundi has been on the headlines for a couple of months now, I think two months now. It's been a big story. And actually, half of this year, we've been speaking about Burundi. Uh, But I want to come back to the issue of the Arusha Agreement, which was actually where uh, the actually move towards uh, a more peaceful Burundi was actually rooted in this Arusha agreement. With these particular elections, has this agreement been compromised? And uh, I want to come back to you, Kwezi. What are your views there? Well, I think uh, uh, the starting point uh, would be to to explain a bit about what Arusha meant and what sure, it has sure. been able to do uh, since it's been instituted. I think more than anything else, the agreement sought to initiate a level, a satisfactory level of communal coexistence between the various ethnic groups in the country. Secondly, the agreement recognized the fact that the, 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 the mode of governance in the country needed to be reformed in order to allow for space for expression of alternative or multiple uh, issues or rather voices. Thirdly, it sought to reform the security sector because one of the main issues that led to years and years of conflict in the country was the fact that there were accusations that the military and the security establishment in that country uh, was comprised and uh, was doing the beating of one particular ethnic group. Mm. And lastly, it sought to allow for space for Burundi to reconcile. Now, what is interesting about the Arusha Agreement is that in certain instances uh, of the four points that I've raised, it was very specific in terms of what would need to happen, for example, for communal existence, for reconciliation, so far as actually stipulating uh, 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 not only criteria, but also percentages for representation in parliament and other form, in other spheres of governance. Mm. The other thing of interest is the fact that it was very general, meaning that once institutions of governance have been put into place post the transition, it was the responsible of those that are in government in order to pursue some of these objectives, things such as the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission and such like. Now, what then has happened since 2005 is that we have seen a government that has, has had a mixed, uh, if we can review the performance of the government, we get a, a mixed result. Some areas they've done relatively well, uh, for example, in terms of making sure that there's representation or a balance of representation in government structures and the security uh, uh, forces or the security sector. They've done relatively well. But in other instances, they've not necessarily succeeded thus far, so they would argue themselves. For example, in terms of setting up a, a truth and reconciliation framework in order to make sure that uh, the, 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 the historical injustices are talked about and solutions are found in terms of uniting the, the, the people. Mm. Now, what has happened with these elections is that I think it has brought to the fore the failures or the limitations of the performance of the government and by extension of society over the last 10 years. I mean, the fact that at this point in time, the, the kind of dialogue or political engagement that has taken place in Burundi, I, I wouldn't say it's entirely honest. When people talk about Arusha, 
they're not necessarily talking about the spirit of the agreement. They're particularly interested in selectively quoting those elements of the agreement that would ensure continuity of their participation in political structures, even when they do not have the political numbers uh, to, to be in a position to go into elections. Hmm. Many would think that this is a, a very serious generalization. But let us take a look at the results of the last election. Uh, well, very briefly, because I've, right I, need to move, I need to move on, uh, crazy, but yes, briefly. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Sure. If, 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 if we look at the, at, the, at, the, at the election results, I don't think that they particularly are showing a society that is living up to Arusha. Regardless of whether it's President Kuruziza's fault or not, I think it's a society Burundi still needs to look inward. They, the Burundi, must find a way of just going beyond just either bashing Kuruziza or even bashing the constitution. These are the documents that they have, and they must work towards living up to the spirit uh, that they espouse. Well, we had to let go of our correspondent there in Burundi, in Bujumbura. We are now joined by Sarah Jackson from Amnesty International. Uh, thank you for joining us at this part of our conversation, Sarah. We've already spoken about the humanitarian situation in Burundi. We've spoken about the elections and also the illegitimacy in terms of uh, the pulling out of the opposition parties. Now we're in this point where we're speaking about the Russia agreement as highlighted, Kwesi says, hey, it has been compromised in some areas, and uh, this election also brings to the forefront some of the mishaps in this particular um, ten, 10 years of uh, governance in the country. Your view, Sarah? Hello, thank you. Um, yes, indeed, um, the elections were seen uh, quite widely as a violation of the Arusha Agreement, which brought an end to Burundi's civil war, and this led to protests, um, particularly in Burundi's capital, um, Bujumbura. And the authorities banned protests, and then the police um, clamped down on them through use of lethal and excessive force. It's quite shocking uh, the way in which we documented this. Um, unarmed protesters were shot as they were running away from the police. Children uh, were present when tear gas um, and live ammunition were used. And so the situation is really quite grim, and we're calling on the Burundian authorities to investigate this as a matter of urgency and hold those to account to reduce the likelihood of Burundians finding more violent ways to express political grievances. Mm. And that, that's a, also a human rights issue there. But before we wrap it up, I've got three minutes left. This is a very, very much big conversation we're having here, and we can't really look at all these particular elements that we want to look at because we do have limited time. Coming to you, Benjamin Chimuni, in terms of moving forward, is there a way, a positive way, of actually avoiding another uh, civil war within the country? Can we actually move forward smoothly without any violence and intimidation of citizens in the country? Well, it, it's very hard yes, to, uh, at the moment. Well, uh, yeah. I think what would be, what would be, I think it's clear that Nkwanza wants to stay in power. And I think, you know, what has happened over the last uh, month or two months just clearly showed that. Uh, I think, it's, you know, it's not about, you know, removing him, especially that, you know, it might be in violent means. I think what is important that even though, you know, the candidate is stay in power is to find through negotiation maybe a way to give the opposition a proper uh, influence within the government in order to act as, you know, a check and balances. Uh, of course, it's very difficult given the, the, the election uh, result that, you know, 
give a big uh, proportion to the to the ruling party. Uh, but I think that, that that would be very important, especially in comparison to the last uh, term where the CNDFD was domin- dominating all the aspects of the state and the opposition was very weak. And I think, you know, trying to get the opposition to play its role back, uh, to act as, as check and balances. And I think this is possible because now I think it's the time of, uh, you know, of the international community to put pressure uh, on uh, on Burundi and Kurundi that before it was difficult because it was just um, um, obsessed with staying into power. However, now I think it will have to compose with the international community uh, just because of money reason. You know, the international donors give more than 50% of the state budget to Burundi, so they have leverage here. Mm-hmm. And although it's very difficult, that. That's how I would see uh, you know, moving forward and trying basically to meet the level of violence uh, in Burundian society. Sarah Jackson, just back to you. We've got about 30 seconds left. A way forward, your views? Sarah, are you there with us? Oh, yes, a way forward. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, indeed, it's not too late to kill Burundi back from um, the brink. And it's very important that regional actors increase their engagement with the current situation, particularly South Africa, that was a key broker of the Arusha Agreement, um, and other regional actors within the East African community. Now is the time for the Burundian government to be taking strong um, actions to restore respect for human rights and for dialogue to continue to see if some kind of agreement can be reached between the government and the opposition and civil society. Hmm. Quasi, your views, just finally in 30 seconds, how do we actually move forward? We've heard uh, uh, Benjamin saying, hey, we need to create a fair playing game for different uh, uh, stakeholders here. Sarah Jackson says also, hey, let's not forget the humanitarian side of things as well. Quasi, your views, just in 30 seconds. My, my, I think our perspective is, is, is twofold. Firstly, I think dialogue is certainly very much important. I think that there has to be an acknowledgement that uh, the democracy that is found in the Constitution and in Arusha will not just simply uh, uh, appear out of the blue. Uh, It needs to be worked for by both the government in terms of its conduct as well as the opposition in terms of uh, uh, pushing to have its voice and represent the views of, 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 of Burundi. For the international community, especially the the African uh, bodies such as the African Union and the East African community, to continue to not to abandon uh, Burundi, Mm. but to ensure that uh, the country is held uh, uh, responsible and accountable for the protocols it has signed up to in terms of democracy, in terms of public participation, in terms of creating an environment where the outcomes of dialogue and its aspirations find expression. Well, thank you to our guests. Thank you all for joining us today on this very, very important issue on the continent. Thank you to you, Kwezim Nibisa from Accord, which is a South African-based organization involved in conflict resolution, peacekeeping, and preventative diplomacy throughout the African continent. Thank you to Benjamin Chimuni for joining us from the beginning of the program. And Benjamin Chimuni is from the Department of International Development at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Thank you as well to Sarah Jackson from Amnesty International. That's them leaving us there. Thank you all for joining us on our program today. We also had Bernard Bankungira, who is Channel Africa's correspondent based in Bujumbura, Burundi, giving us an update on what's happening in the country today in terms of what's happening in parliamentary proceedings and also just the feeling down there on the ground in Burundi. But hey, let's move on and get our economics update. We've got uh, Wisani Matebula standing by.
Thanks, Benjamin. Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari plans to split the state-owned Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation into two entities. Buhari was elected in March on promises to combat corruption. He's made it clear that he wants to overhaul the oil sector in Africa's biggest economy, which provides the government with around 70% of its revenue. Buhari says his government will trace and recover what he calls mind-boggling sums of money stolen from the oil sector. And U.S. President Barack Obama has urged Kenyans to help end endemic corruption. This in a speech to the nation that also focused on the need for gender equality and national unity. Obama addressed Kenyans over the weekend on his first trip to his fatherland since he became president of the United States. He told 5,000 invited guests who included representatives from civil society and schools, human rights activists and prominent media personalities that corruption was tolerated across Kenyan society and seen as a normal state of affairs. And the Southern African Development Community, which is a group of 15 countries with 277 million people, say there are enough power generation projects underway to end electricity shortages by the year 2019. Projects beginning in the next three to four years will bring the amount of capacity under construction in sub-Saharan Africa to 24,000 megawatts or three times the current power shortfall. SADC is currently facing a power shortage. I'll be back with uh, another update in an hour's time. Tammy Kuza now joins us to give us our sports news. In your sport, Zambia's road to Moscow 2018 begins with the second-round qualifying tie against regular World Cup enemies Sudan at the end of this year. This will be Zambia and Sudan's fourth meeting in a World Cup qualifier. Zambia later beat Sudan 3-2 on aggregate in a preliminary round qualifying tie during the France 1998 race. Group winners at the end of 2017 will qualify for Russia's final to be held from June the 14th until July the 15th, 2018. Zambia has never qualified to the World Cup. And South Africa's Bafana Bafana will face Angola in the second round of the 2018 Soccer World Cup qualifying in November following a lavish draw ceremony in St. Petersburg on Saturday. Sheikh Bashaba's men will avoid playing the first round of the 2018 Soccer World Cup qualifiers due to their current place in the FIFA rankings. Bafana will play their first leg in Angola before playing host in the second leg. The winner of the round two fixtures will then split into five groups of four and will play each other home and away to decide which five nations will be heading to the showpiece event in Russia. Now in the CAF Confederations Cup, Taborajale scored a superb goal as Orlando Pirates beat CS Faction 1-0 in the CAF Confederations Cup clash that was played in Tunisia on Saturday. Pirates remained second in Group B with six points from three matches, three points behind Egyptian giant Samalek who beat AC Leopards 2-0 in Cairo earlier in the day. Leopard and CS Faction have a point apiece. 
Now in rugby, South African Springboard coach Heine Kemea says that he's frustrated at the fact that his play, his plans fell apart in his team's 27-20 loss against the All Blacks in their rugby championship test at the Emirates Elan Park yesterday in the same way that it did against the Wallabies last weekend. Mayor gave credit to the All Blacks for the manner in which they fought back to win the game. Yeah, it's really frustrating, you know, uh, same thing as last week. Um, I really thought the plan worked. We were brilliant at the breakdown. Want to play positive, play some great positive rugby, but uh, I thought it was a big blow of Yanning going off. Uh, I thought we've at least come to all up to that point. I uh, don't doubt that Vince came on and he was injured as well. And for um, a big journey point when Franchelo went off. Uh, did his shoulder, couldn't continue, and then Lewitt as well, same as Victor last uh, week. So they lose three of your forwards. Meanwhile, All Blacks captain Richie Marco says that his team may have finished with the win at the end, but they were lucky to have gone into a halftime 10 all with the Springboks after having been dominated by the home side. I think we were, we were on the back foot for the first 40 anyway. Um, that was, you know, we, we had to have a good look at ourselves at halftime. And we're probably pretty lucky to be, uh, you know, that try on halftime kept us, uh, or got us back into the game, but didn't feel like that to be honest. And in cycling, British cyclist Chris Froome has won the Tour de France title in three years to enhance his growing reputation as a Grand Tour specialist. It was Team Sky's third triumph tour in four years after Bradley Wiggins prevailed in 2012 before Froome succeeded him in 2013. Froome was ecstatic about his win. The Mayor Jeune is special, very special. I understand its history, good and bad. I will always respect it, never dishonor it, and I will always be proud to have won it. Thank you very much. And now in athletics, London's Diamond League meeting at the Olympia Park was partly characterized by the breathtaking performances by the world-acclaimed sprinter Usain Bolt of Jamaica, Wade van Niekerk of South Africa, and Nigel Amos of Botswana. Our correspondent, Gesho Mnyati, reports. The two-day competition in the British capital certainly brought back memories to the athletes who competed at this beautiful sporting facility which was built to host the 2012 London Olympic Games. Usain Bolt returned to the stadium where he sensationally won the 100, 200 and anchored his country's 4 by 100 meters relay team to a fantastic victory. South Africa's Wade Van Ikek continued to grab good deadlines on the international stage with a perfect victory in the 400 meters. The Commonwealth Games silver medalist in Glasgow intelligently made his way from behind to beat the front pack led by Isaac Makwala of Botswana, who drastically faded towards the end. Geshom Yati, Channel Africa Sports, London. And finally, American Marco Dawson has won the Senior Open Championship presented by Rolex, holding off a star-studded field, and he has won it in style at Sunningdale, closing with a 64 for 16 under par. Nick Dye reports. Life's begun at 50 for Dawson. He made a good living on the PGA Tour, but second place was the closest he came to victory 20 years ago. He only played in three major championships. Yet he's won on the Champions Tour in Tucson earlier this season, and he's played with confidence and belief here to hold off the determined challenges of defending champion Bernhard Langer and Colin Montgomery. Dawson chipped in for eagle at the ninth, just when it looked like he was slipping away. He notched a further eagle at 14, leaping to the top of the leaderboard. Monty had been clear until two bogeys wrecked his cause. Langer moved top until that eagle, and Dawson hold a tremendous long birdie putt at the last to keep Langer at bay. Having endured two operations on his back, he says all the hard work over years 
has now come to fruition. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's a wrap from us, our African Dialogue team. Thank you for joining us today. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Hey, we want you to actually join our Channel Africa family. So find us on uh, Facebook. We've got a Channel Africa page there, simply titled Channel Africa. Thank you to those who've been interacting with us there. Or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue. Today we're asking the question, really, do you think that uh, the presidency of Pierre Kurunzi Ziza was legitimate. Let us know what you think of the elections. We want to hear from you. Plus 2779-695-7930 is another way you can get hold of us through SMS. That's plus 2779-695-7930. That's how we wrap it up. Tomorrow we'll be looking at the Obama visit to Africa and look at his uh, presidential period. Uh, has he actually created a good relationship between the continent and the United States of America? And we'll be looking at that particular topic tomorrow. So do join us tomorrow at 1100 hours Central African time right here on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance. Coming up is Africa Midday. They'll give you the latest news on what's happening here on the continent of Africa.